to the Hollywood to Hollywood podcast with myself, Emma D'Souza, and my husband, Jake D'Souza. Join us on a weekly basis for our musings from the island of Ireland on life, politics, art, culture, history, and everything in between. Now, the name Hollywood to Hollywood is inspired by the fact that my husband, Jake, comes from Hollywood, California. And I myself come from Northern Ireland, which of course has the other Hollywood, the one with only one L. I should add before we proceed to this week's uh, subject that the podcast is not ad supported at this time. So any help or donations would be greatly welcomed. We do have a Patreon page and the information for that will be in the show notes. Now this week we are going to be covering formative years. Myself and Jake both grew up in the 90s and are pretty close in age. However, with him growing up in the far more glamorous city of Los Angeles, and myself growing up in the very small town of Mockerfelt in Northern Ireland during the 90s, we think there may be some differences. So join us as we discuss life in the 90s, starting with Jake. Jake, could you tell me a little bit about what your neighborhood was like in Los Angeles? Thank you for the introduction, Emma. Um, I grew up in Santa Monica in Los Angeles, California, uh, and I grew up uh, in a nice little neighborhood. Um, I, I lived adjacent a park, and um, I lived next door to a rabbi, which is about as much uh, fun as it sounds like. I uh, had, had a, a lot of pressure to, to behave um, but it was a lovely, lovely neighborhood, a terracotta roof tiling or something and you know, stucco, stucco walls, I believe they were. Uh, and yeah, it was, a, it was a nice neighborhood. That's very descriptive. Uh, my neighborhood was, uh, not Spanish roof tiling, but, uh, rather a, uh, small estate in Mockerfelt. My family did travel a little bit when I was younger and we lived for some time in Cyprus, but the majority of my formative years was in fact in Mockerfelt, which is a very small town in County Derry. Growing up, I knew next to nothing about Ireland, let alone Northern Ireland. So uh, it's uh, it's been a more than a learning experience coming out and moving to uh, Belfast and learning all about the way life was growing up for Emma and uh, the plethora of differences uh, between one another. However, there were also, of course, many similarities and overlaps. Um, firstly, I think it would be uh, a fun subject to talk about, would be something that would be near and dear to most any child's heart uh, growing up, would be toys. Uh, I've always been a huge fan of electronics and gizmos. Um, in the 90s was basically the, uh, the golden era for... Uh, silly gizmos like your Furbies and your Tamagotchis. I mean, that was the, they were huge. They were constantly getting banned at school because every kid wanted to have them there. And uh, I just love to know what it was like growing up with those same toys or maybe different toys in Northern Ireland. Well, there's absolutely no way you'd be allowed to take any of those toys to school when I was growing up. Not a chance. Uh, but we did, yes, of course, still have Tamagotchis and Furbies. I had both, and they were amazing. Um, I also had uh, Rubik's Cubes. And um, aside from that, I, I, don't, I wasn't a very big toy uh, person growing up. But uh, I did have a special place uh, for my Furby, which I loved dearly. I loved my Furby too, a little bit too much. <laughs> and I, I got, I think I, I just brought it too many places and it got gross and dirty. <laughs> and I thought the best choice uh, of action would be to, I mean, I, I didn't think cleaning it would be an option because it's electronic. So naturally what any, any boy would do would be to um, skin the Furby. Oh my God, that's horrifying. Yeah, it was pretty, it looked a lot scarier than I thought it was going to look. Uh, it. My dad, I remember as a kid, he actually introduced me to the, a new word. Uh, he said it looked like a dominatrix. <laughs> uh, it was completely, it looked like it was covered in skin tight body leather. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it looked a little bit. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, and what age would you have been around then? I, I was young. <laughs> I, was, I was definitely young. And it still, I mean, it still acted like a Furby, which made it a little, even a little bit more disturbing, actually. Yeah, that's pretty scary. Um, another 
question I wanted, another subject I wanted to discuss if we're on the subject of the 90s is what kind of games did you play in terms of board games, but also in terms of like games on the street? I know when I was growing up, the most common game that we played um, was Kirby where you would stand on the pavement and you would throw a football and try to hit the curb on the other side. And you would do this with each other. Looking at it now, it does seem like um, not the most um, imaginative game, but at the time, it was extraordinarily satisfying <laughs> and fun. When you got that pop of the ball coming up. <laughs> and I believe that there may be some controversy even within Northern Ireland as to what name uh, you called it. If you called it Kirby or I believe there may be another name that it goes by because I was raised with Kirby. I don't know what it is. Um, and the other game that we played a lot was Tag, obviously. Tag you're it. Sure. That was big. Yeah, well, t everyone, Tag is universal. There are, you know, varieties of Tag we grew up with. You know, uh, flash tag and, you know, I think flashlight tag, I think is what it, what it might have been called, where you shine a flashlight at one another. No, uh, we didn't have that one. Oh, uh, OK. Well, yeah. Tag in general is a, is a classic. But as far as Kirby goes, the only Kirby I grew up with was the pink puffball video game character, uh, you know, Kirby in Dreamland. Any of those like Super NES games, NES games, you ever played those? Yeah, I didn't play Kirby, uh, but I wasn't a big computer game person. I was, I, I played some Mario and some Sonic, and that was the height of my gaming as a child. Yeah, we wouldn't have gotten on. <laughs> yeah, I played a lot of video games growing up. Um, I loved Doom, but I was terrified of Doom. I had my, we had Doom 64 on the N Nintendo 64, and... I had to hide behind the couch while my dad played through it. That was, but I loved it and I loved being scared of it. Uh, and I mean, we played, uh, you know, I, when I got my tonsils removed, I remember playing, I, I was given a Looney Tunes or no, sorry, a Tiny Tunes game. I don't know if you ever watched Tiny Tunes, uh, but we had, I had a Tiny Tunes video game and I played that to death and plenty of, most of my gaming involved like a, a video game was not uh outside gaming i mean what i did outside i i like hardly remember we like i said we lived adjacent to park but i hated going to the park i wouldn't go to the park i i liked being inside i've always been uh, homebody. we were very much the opposite when we were growing up i would have to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but what about uh, cartoons? You know, obviously a huge part of growing up is going to be cartoons. And yeah. for me, uh, obviously the Simpsons formed a huge part of my childhood, although my mom hates the Simpsons, <laughs> probably because I made her watch so many episodes when growing up. Um, but also there's classics like uh, Hey Arnold. Oh, Did you yeah. have that? Of course, yeah. I loved Hey Arnold. I remember... Uh, being really uh, just tickled when I saw I had accidentally put on the Spanish channel uh, and, and back home uh, in, in Los Angeles, you'd have a lot of channels would be duplicates. You'd have a Spanish speak Spanish speaking version and uh, an English speaking version. I had the Spanish speaking version of Hey Arnold on. And I remember being very tickled that it was called Oi Arnold. <laughs> uh, what about um, Rugrats? Loved Rugrats. Anything by what was that Klasky Supo company? They actually uh, that production company that did the Rugrats also uh, they. If you ever watched the old Simpsons episodes where everyone looks kind of funky, mm. that was because it was animated by that same studio. Um, well, the '90s was also arguably one of the best decades for the movies. Yes. Now, as an adult, of course, I appreciate the '90s for movies even more. With great movies like Shawshank Redemption, Grindhog Day, The Fugitive. However, when I was growing up, I was primarily raised on scary movies, thanks to my dad, who basically had me watching Chucky and um, the Freddy Krueger movies as a very young child. Um, there was, of course, a period where that didn't go down so well and there were a few nightmares, but I got over that uh, period of time and uh, scary movies has remained my favorite genre. 
Well, I uh, I can't say that doesn't explain a lot. <laughs> uh, I I love that you grew up on horror films. Uh, horror is near and dear to my heart as well. Um, I grew up with scary films, but my dad was um, insistent that I grow up on the the horror and sci-fi films of his childhood. So I watched a lot of black and white. And you know, growing up watching these things, I was too young to truly appreciate it because I, I resented it a bit. I, I wanted to watch more modern horror and sci-fi films. And uh, I, getting older, I've, I've learned how lucky I was to have grown up watching so many of these, you know, invaders from outer space and uh, the Twilight Zone and so, so many, so many great classic sci-fi and horror uh, films and television series. But getting older and older, my dad, you know, would introduce me to more, uh, you know, visceral and modern horror. I mean, one of his favorite films was uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. And I mean, I saw that. I mean, I, I was older, but I was definitely, I mean, at least for me, I was not old enough. <laughs> uh, that that movie really upset me. But it also, it also showed me uh, uh, like a real appreciation for uh, classic, tasteful horror and that it can be upsetting and disturbing but done in such a a brilliant way that it it's beyond the the scope of what most people would consider you know uh horror people just think you know blood guts uh you know a slasher coming out of the the woods to kill the teens at the beach party which is it has its place in horror i know most of the like freddy kruegers and stuff that that all falls under the slasher category but John Carpenter, I don't know, I'm a bit of a fanboy for him because, I mean, he he also, he delved in there. I think one of his earliest, you know, huge horror films was Halloween, which... That's true. You know, also that put, uh, what's her name? The, uh, you know, True Lies. <laughs> I have no idea. I feel horrible that I can't remember her name. <laughs> I love her, but I don't remember There is someone name. there that, you know, yeah. that movie did a good thing for It her. did a great thing for yeah. her. Yeah. No. But um, keeping on the subject of movies, of course, anyone that thinks about Los Angeles thinks about Hollywood. And, of course, so many movies are made in Hollywood. It's the, the home of the film industry. Did you experience much of that when you were growing up? Yeah, I uh, was lucky enough to experience a lot of the film industry um, due to a combination of my parents' work with uh, various uh, f- music uh, composers for, for film and uh, television. Um, I remember I, I went to, I believe it was some sort of a pre-screening of Starship Troopers before that came out, um, but I was too young my parents didn't let me actually stay to watch the movie i had to just imagine what the uh, monsters look like but all i could do is imagine i was dreaming of seeing these big scary <laughs> bugs but i i got to walk around and see the um uh the the sets and see the i, I got to watch actually um god was it basil polidorus i can't remember who the the composer was he's great uh i got to see him actually composing some of the music live two sequences from the film you know, while they were doing the production of the film, which that's was pretty cool. It was really cool. Like, I just remembered that just now. I, that, that's uh, that was a really cool event. Beyond just my parents work, I was also lucky enough that my my uncle is a film uh, screenwriter. Uh, and my other uncle is uh, he owns and operates um, film studios. So between all of them, I was exposed to quite a few uh, film industry uh, experiences. So what you're saying is your family is essentially the stereotypical Los Angeles family. Yeah, 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 yeah. you could say <laughs> you could say that, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was a good uh, it was uh, an entertaining uh, childhood in a lot of ways, being involved in entertainment, as you would expect the name to suggest. Did you have any weird childhood eating habits? Oh. Like, what was a snack for you as a childhood, in your childhood? What was your favorite go-to kid snack? Kid snack. Ooh, kid snack. Okay, well, as a little kid, I invented, if you could call it that, because I know I didn't actually invent this, but to me it was an invention because I, I couldn't understand why other people hadn't thought to make this and why it wasn't available in every corner shop. Uh, the honey sandwich, mm. which 
is exactly what it sounds like. It was two pieces of bread with honey in the middle. And just I, honey or honey and butter? No, no, just honey. I don't think it was even cooked. I believe that I don't think it was toasted. I think they were just bread out of the out of the bag of bread, and then I'd use one of those bears filled with honey, a honey bear. I guess you may not have those here, but in America, it's very common to have your honey uh, packaged in a plastic tube that you squeeze in the shape of a bear. Uh, and I'd squeeze that bear, and I'd get that honey all over that bread, and I would force my parents to have one with me, too. <laughs> and they would grimace, and uh, they'd eat it anyway. That's very good parents. Uh, well, we had something similar in that, like, a go-to snack when I was growing up was a sugar sandwich. <laughs> oh, yes. You one-upped me. That's right. We would just have sugar, bread, butter. <laughs> Well, that's butter too. Okay, it sounds well, almost this is like Ireland. A, okay, you have to have yeah, butter on everything. That was naive of me. Bread, sugar, butter—it was yeah. delicious. But I actually recently found out while I was down home making fun of my little brother um, for his weird eating habits as a kid that the weird eating habit I thought he had was actually me. And my <laughs> mo- my mom corrected me and had a good laugh at me when she shared not only was it me that used to eat the spaghetti without any bolognese or sauce, just plain spaghetti. <laughs> But it was also me that used to have. Are you ready? Oh, I'm not. I know. I already know what this is, and I don't want <laughs> to hear used about to, it. That used to have banana and ketchup sandwiches. <sighs> I just, I can't believe it. Uh, I feel like my taste buds have grown, because, uh, yeah, that doesn't sound good. No, no, it never. It was never good. It, that's a really upsetting, <laughs> like viscerally upsetting. Uh, combination of things. And I mean, the funny thing is, is now that Emma, Emma's a, you know, an adult, arguably, she uh, really doesn't like ketchup very much. That's true. So, Maybe I, mean, I sickened myself with ketchup. Well, when you combine it with bananas, it's not that hard to imagine uh, finding it revolting going forward. You tra- traumatized yourself. I must have placed it in a place in my mind where I can't access that memory. All right, you- you buried There's, it. That's it. That's the childhood trauma right there. That is. I'm, I've am i had, you know, secondhand trauma from that, <laughs> just you talking about it. So one thing that has surprised me about your upbringing in NI is uh, how early on you were able to go out on your own. Mm-hmm. Like, just go go walk down the street, go go to the shop, go, go grab some, some <laughs> eggs, some milk, you know, just dander about you know at the ripe age of what like seven <laughs> probably yeah right about then <laughs> yeah you don't do that in los angeles uh at least in the areas that i grew up in you it was not encouraged to allow your children to wander and take the bus and go into the city it's you know there's uh high risk of uh potential uh kidnappings and uh just unpleasant experiences for for children in, in such a big uh, a, a city with all kinds of potential dangers lurking around every corner. Yeah, I guess that's the benefit to um, being raised somewhere that is much smaller than the massive city of Los Angeles in that uh, we did have that freedom when I was growing up. And uh, I was a bit of a tomboy when I was a kid, so I would often just leave the house and be outside all day long climbing trees or getting up to no good until it was dark and then I would eventually go back to the house and get my tea and go to bed. Um, But I did have quite a lot of freedom in the fact that I could walk to school by myself and I could go out and play with my friends and I wasn't too concerned and my family weren't too concerned and we did have that um, ability to sort of, you know, the stereotype of playing out in the streets um, in the neighborhood was something that I grew up with. That sounds like a dream. Throughout many of the metropolitan uh, cities throughout the states, uh, you just really can't can't walk around as a kid like that without running into trouble. I I went out a total of one time as as a little kid, uh, and it was my first big outing walking down uh, to the you know like the, the the closest major street. My parents reluctantly let me go out with my buddy, and uh, we were trying to get to a restaurant. It was like right there and of course i couldn't find it <laughs> and i asked the first you know guy that was walking by hey um you know i was trying to find a place called snug harbor you know it had a of theme course. yeah a theme that was all based around uh tugboats in a in you know delightful little little uh harbor uh and they they had really good grilled cheese 
grilled cheese is something I think you would call that here. A, a cheese toasty. A cheese it's toasty. It's just a cheese toasty. A cheese, it's, well, it's just a grilled cheese where <laughs> I come from. Anyway, so I, I asked this gentleman, I say, excuse me, sir, do you know where Snug Harbor is? And he responds with a gruff, Schmuck Harbor? <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what a schmuck is, uh, <laughs> it's a, the derogatory term for, I guess, just a a, a, a guy you don't care for. Um, and I mean, I guess I was old enough to know what that was because I was so taken aback by his response. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I said to him. Well, that is a sad first outing. I hope you eventually did find Snug Harbor. I, I did, and uh, I think I made myself ill with the amount of uh, cheese toasties I stuffed into I myself. I see. Uh, well, uh, whilst we did have a lot of freedom when I was growing up, there was one thing that was a little restrictive um, in that religion plays a massive part in growing up in Northern Ireland. Um, I was raised Catholic, and I learned from an early age to be a little cautious with sharing that fact. Were you ever conscious of your religion when you were growing up? I can't say that I really was for the most part. Um, I The times that I noted my religion as a young kid uh, mainly were the times that I really resented having to go to synagogue or the times that I really resented having to go to Hebrew school. It was uh, anytime I had to do anything curricular or... Uh, overtly religious, I would really resent it because I would much rather just stay home. Well, I mean, that's understandable. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I, shall, I shared that same sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was especially bad because my parents, uh, they're much more, uh, they're, they're more spiritual than anything. My mom mainly, she, like neither of them come off as particularly, like, they're not practicing Jews by any real stretch outside of the main holidays. Basically, they would just celebrate uh, the the major high holidays. Outside of that, we didn't, you know, keep kosher. We didn't do any of the um, the more stringent religious activities, and uh, it just always, to me, felt like um, pantomime that we would go to the synagogue and dress up and do the whole thing for like a couple days a year. It just seemed like mm -hmm. if we're going to do that, why do it at all? It's Well, uh, your family would not be alone in being part-time uh, religious uh, observers in, in any shape or form. Um, my upbringing was a little bit more controlled in terms of um, Catholicism being more embedded. I, of course, had my first communion. I had my confirmation. I went to a Catholic school. I was even in the choir at one stage. Um, I do come from a mixed religion family in that my mother is a Catholic and my father is a Protestant. But uh, in the marriage, all the children were agreed in advance that they would be raised Catholic. Um, at the time, I believe, when my parents got married, it was a little unusual for um, mixed Protestant and Catholic marriages at that time because it was really at the height of the troubles um, in Northern Ireland. But uh, so religion has played a huge part. And then, of course, I went to a Catholic school right up until the age of 16. There was no um, option for an integrated education when I was growing up. There is, of course, now uh, more integrated schools um, in Northern Ireland. But, yeah, as a child, I didn't have any choice. I had to go to a Catholic school and, you know, we had mass every week and we had um, religious education classes. And a lot of it was formed around that. We had Catholic schools and, uh, you know, various different types of schools growing up uh, in, in Los Angeles, I'm sure throughout the United States, but I'm not sure they were the same. I, I'd, I'd imagine there were quite a few differences in that um, I know, for one, one of my best friends growing up uh, went to uh, a, I believe it was just a Catholic private school uh, somewhere in the San Fernando Valley, uh, and he attended that school with a real diverse crowd of people. I mean, he went to school with, you know, Jewish people and uh, they had to attend, I think, a prayer type uh, mm -hmm. section of... That sounds of, about right. Right. But besides that, um, I it, it did not feel overtly secular as far as uh, d his description of, of Catholic school to me. So how would that differ from Catholic school in Very much so. I mean, it's a Catholic school for Catholic students. Um, but uh, uh, tell me a little bit about your school, because when I picture a, 
American high school, of course I picture exactly what it's like in the movies where, you know, everyone's just hanging out, you're all wearing your own clothes, it's all super cool and casual, there's lockers everywhere, and everyone's doing band, and everyone's going to surf classes, and it just looks like the best crack ever. I mean, is that what high school was like for you? There are like a handful of movies I've seen in the past 10 years where I go, oh, that's literally my high school. I, <laughs> that was filmed at my high school. That's uh, so cool. Yeah. Well, it's it's I'll say that it is really nice to be able to um, watch a movie uh, or play a video game or whatever it is, uh, consume media uh, and know that I can see my home on film or on, on the screen and, and not feel as you know homesick for the nostalgic uh days of yesteryear mm-hmm. so you know it's it's nice to have home that close I, I i i used to take it for granted growing up that so many films and different mediums take place uh in los angeles or in california as a whole but predominantly so much is in los angeles but now living abroad for i don't know like six years it's gotten uh i've, I've really come to appreciate the fact that i can you know play some Grand Theft Auto 5 and uh, ob- obey the laws of traffic. I'll mind you, I don't uh-huh. go on, on driving, uh, sure. you know, crashing, blowing up sprees. I just pretend that I'm back back, back home in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. I even dra- drive on the correct side of the road, not the road. Ro- well, I guess. Which is the correct side of the road uh, to you and I? Yeah, that's uh, subjective. Okay, <laughs> I don't drive on the uh, European or UK side of the road when playing Grand Theft Auto. I, ob- I observe all the laws in that game. Very good. Yes. Um, so next I'd like to know what kind of rules did your school have? A lot of rules. A lot. I mean, you got to just go to school in your normal clothes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like whatever I wanted to wear. I mean, there were rules like, you know, no spaghetti straps. I couldn't wear my spaghetti straps oh, to school. It's devastating. Yeah. No, we weren't allowed to have our like our pants too low. Like everybody had those jorts you know like are they shorts are they jeans the jinko <laughs> craze maybe that didn't happen over here uh everybody had just giant shorts that stopped being short <laughs> so what do you call them yeah no i didn't get to see those in school because here there is a very strict policy around uniforms so uh for me it was a uniform throughout my primary and secondary education in secondary school i had to wear a tie every day for five years and I could only wear a skirt and it had to be a certain length I couldn't wear trousers I had to wear not only the tie but a button-up shirt and a jumper and a blazer every day for five years and when you look back and consider that I mean geez that was a bit a bit formal it was a bit much. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit much. A little individuality can't really hurt, uh, right? Individual, individuality was a no-no <laughs> at my school. I mean, the guys were not allowed to have long hair. The girls were not allowed to have earrings or painted nails or makeup. I mean, anything at all. You basically had to just be going in there like you were brand new with nothing of the world imprinted on you. Um, what about compulsory subjects in school? Did you have any subjects that you had to do, it was compulsory to do? Yeah, I'm they I believe of course all of your, you know, mathematics and science and uh English and history and stuff. So you had to do history? Yeah, yeah. It I think at a certain point in high school you got to choose what type of history, mm-hmm. you know, if you uh depending on your uh if you were an advanced student or not an advanced student. I rarely made the category of an advanced student. <laughs> uh but I remember having the option of choosing the type of history I wanted at one point, and I chose uh, European history, I think. Uh, I very uh, internationalist of you. I was so international. It was also (laughs) art history, but it was mainly because I knew the teacher was just going to be great. He was a great crack, as you'd say out here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he also was uh, controversial, I guess you could say. As a kid, we thought he was great, but he... um, he, he used to have the kid he would he would make a lot of very sexual statements throughout class he would he would talk about uh he would objectify students uh he was indiscriminate about your sex it didn't matter he would he would make sexual advances on you uh but as, as a kid you thought it was just so funny it was so funny oh 
Oh, Mr. Cummings, of course. His name was Mr. <laughs> Cummings. Uh, and he would talk oh, this about... This is very inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was inappropriate. And, you know, he had a dog uh, named Willie, and he would always talk oh, about... Oh, nice. Stop yeah, it. Yeah, he would say he's bringing in his dog, and he wants everyone to pet his Willie. Oh, you can't be serious. I'm, I'm serious. And uh, he was also um, inexplicably rich, like wealthy beyond... I mean, he would come in... He the, the thing was, he never wore the same outfit twice. He never wore the same clothes twice. So he had different shoes every day of his life. Oh, my God. I think he owned b- properties or something. He owned buildings. Uh, and But, yeah, so at the end of the year, he would do a giveaway where he gave away all the clothes he wore throughout the year. I'm sure he got Did something out of Did you ever take any of his clothes? I think I took a scarf. <laughs> I had a, He had a scarf or, like, a handkerchief. I'm not sure. I got something. Uh, but... Of course, I learned after graduating that he was uh, sub- subsequently relieved of his position uh, due to sexual misconduct. So, Well, it sounds like you had a very colorful teacher there, Jake. You can call him that. <laughs> yeah. um, well, in my school, uh, the compulsory subjects obviously were, for GCSE, you had to do math, English. You had to do one science. Yeah. You had to do one language. And then you had to do religious education. Right. That was compulsory as well for GCSE. And then after that, you really didn't have much choice because you're only doing a certain a certain amount of GCSE. So after that, you could choose between, you know, history or geography, or um, you could choose between art, music, and uh, technology, and you could choose between like ICT and something. What's um, ICT? Computer technology. Oh, okay. So you did. Okay, so there were computer-based, you know, did you do typing? Was that ever a class? Uh, a typing class? Yeah, we had a, a class just for typing. I know it sounds weird, but it, it made me the man I am today. I wouldn't know how to type like I do yeah, if I didn't have No, it. we did not have typing is, classes. Is that why you still type by poking at your do keyboard? Do not share that information. Too- I swear, I cannot be the only person that types, okay, with, with one finger in each hand. Yeah, that, I'm sure you're not. Uh, I'm sure Look, there, there was a time where I was, I was a clerical officer <laughs> at a time where I was just a data inputter. Okay, so, you know, that technique, it still works. So, no, we, we didn't have much choice or variety uh, for GCSEs. So uh, my GCSEs uh, were, you know, English, English literature, uh, math, ICT, uh, Irish, art, um, religious education, and double award science. That's it. They were the, they were the GCSEs I had. There was no, you know, overly interesting subject uh, in that. Um, So I'd be curious to know if there's anything a little bit more interesting in what you were learning in high school. Well, there were classes that, I mean, I I didn't take that were fascinating sounding. I mean, like there was a class which uh, would take place before school, which I didn't even know there was a time before school. My parents had to drag me out of bed (laughs) to get to school. Uh, but you could go to surf class, literally a class where you just go down the street from the school and go surfing. And you got, I guess you got graded on surfing. Interesting. So yeah, uh, I would have failed that, not just because I couldn't wake up in time for it, but because I sucked at surfing. Um, but there, I, I took class, uh, there was an animation class. I had a lot of fun doing like flash animation back when flash was still a thing. Uh, and there were... Uh, there, there were odd compulsory classes. Like we had these things called electives, which it sounds like something you could elect to do, but no, you were required <laughs> to do them. You just had to elect which class. Mandatory yeah, elective which, classes. Exactly. So, you know, we had, you have to do health or life skills. Those two were uh, compulsory uh, to choose from. And, um, the life skills what a what a joke that teacher <laughs> that guy my lord i okay so this guy <laughs> would make us watch uh what's his name was your John Cusack yeah, he, he would be talking about this. yeah okay he would make us watch John Cusack movies this was his idea of life skills we would watch a, an assortment of John Cusack movies 5 minutes at a time so we'd watch 5 minutes of the movie and he would make us stop and write three paragraphs about what we thought that five-minute sequence meant. And, I mean, these sequences were mundane things. You know, like, we're watching Say Anything. There's nothing you can gather from a five-minute sequence 
or a 10 or a 15 minute sequence of well, same- I mean, what kind of life skill can you gather from that? Yeah, that's like a whole other point. Like what <laughs> kind of if, did the did the upper did the people uh, you know, is this not? A, is, are you sure it wasn't a movie class? Like it what? It wasn't. I, that was movie class. I mean, I, I took a class where we watched like anime all the time. That was a that was a fun class. At least I knew what I was getting into when I joined that one. This class, we were supposed to be learning life skills. You know, I thought like, okay, uh, okay. The closest we got to a life skill was he taught us how to tie a tie. Besides mm-hmm. that, we watched John Cusack movies. Uh, five minutes at a time, and then wrote lengthy paragraph after paragraph about well, what that sequence meant. And uh, we had to keep every possible piece of paper that guy handed to us, and we had to date it, we had to sign it, we had to keep it all in the correct order, or he would fail us, and we wouldn't be able to actually graduate. It was actually depend. He knew how important the life skills class was, uh, and he really milked it. And he would have kids staying. Uh, until dark with their parents there glaring at this guy across the room while the kids tried to finish everything and try to recreate the uh, the, the papers that they might have misplaced uh, in order to hand it to him at the very end, you know, the deadline of midnight before the uh, the last day of school so they'd be allowed to graduate. Well, I mean, maybe there's the life skill lessons right there. One, be super organized or you're going to fail. And two, be more like John Cusack. I don't, I can never watch another John Cusack movie after that class. All I did was draw just gratuitous images of no, this man no, and no. John Cusack in the throes of that's just... That's going to be, this is going to be edited out. <laughs> this part right here will be edited out. But on the subject, just staying on the subject of education just for one more moment, it feels like a pretty apt time to bring in a recent survey that find that there's a discrepancy in Northern Ireland between history being taught in Catholic schools and Protestant schools. So the survey recently showed that the majority of Catholic schools are teaching the history period of 1968 to 1998, which of course includes the civil rights movements, the peace process. Um, However, just under half of the Protestant schools are teaching the period of 1920 to 1949. And the survey find that those learning the earlier period never really learn that Northern Ireland was kind of created with institutionalized discrimination towards Catholics. That seems like it's setting these kids up to have a huge uh, disparity between their worldviews. Absolutely, because there you have children... I mean, here's part of the problem with Northern Ireland is that it is a region that was divided and still is divided in many ways. But the fact that we're divided in school, the fact that education divides children between Catholics and Protestants, and you go to a a Catholic school or a Protestant school from the age of five and you spend the next 11 years of your life being in a school for Catholics, a school for Protestants, it's part of the problem um, of Northern Ireland. And it's discovering through the survey that... They're actually, our children are being taught two different periods of history that paint two different stories. Um, It did raise concerns as to whether or not our education system is dividing children um, between the lines of the troubles. And I think what's needed here is obviously integrated education, which is essential uh, to sort of blur those lines and build uh, break down some of those walls between people. But also we need to have consistency between what they're learning. I mean, how can they be being taught two different sets of history? It's all relevant. It's our shared history. They have to all be applicable. Yeah, no, that 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 is mind blowing to me. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that kind of uh, uh, system in place in, in at least in, in the education system growing up for me in uh, Los Angeles Unified School District. I mean, it's, it was unified. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> now, this is uh, a little less fun of a topic, but I think it's an important topic to discuss. Uh, what, if you can recall, was a more traumatic experience you may have had uh, growing up in Northern Ireland? Well, I was graced with a, um, a pretty good childhood. Um, and I, but I do, of course, have trauma in there like everybody else. But this particular incident that comes to mind uh, was actually when we lived in Cyprus, not in Northern Ireland. But it was pretty traumatic. So I think it's uh, relevant in terms of the subject matter. And um, we had this dog in Cyprus um, called Nugget. 
And uh, dogs he, have the best name. That's right. Named by me, of course. <laughs> um, and he was a poodle. And um, I loved this dog. He stepped in my bed. Uh, he followed me everywhere. He was the sweetest dog. He was my dog. I loved him. I love dogs. We are huge dog people, if anyone doesn't know that yet. Yes, we, we adore dogs. Um, so Nugget and me were inseparable. And all of a sudden, Nugget went missing. And we couldn't find him anywhere. And it was the most horrifying and most traumatic period for about six weeks me and my dad started this massive campaign to try and find nugget i mean we were on the local radio stations we had posters up everywhere we were just desperately scouring this whole time that we lived in in cyprus trying to find out where our dog had went um and there was no sign until wait for it christmas eve and there was a knock at the door and someone turns up at the door on Christmas Eve with Nugget. It was incredible. So I guess that traumatic experience uh, was very traumatic, but it had a very happy ending. It did. Nugget came back safe and, and sound. That's right. Um, what about you, Jake? What was your most traumatic experience as a child? As a child? Um, or just in growing up in general. It doesn't have to be pre-12. Okay. Uh, the most traumatic experience? Uh, well... Well, I don't know if I can talk about that. Well, I do have to say, I think you might have a better story that was traumatic when you were a child. When I was a child. A better traumatic experience when I was a child. Mm -hmm. I think it might have involved another child. Oh, was it the child that I... Was it the Stretch Armstrong incident? It was the Stretch Armstrong incident. Oh, come on. Okay, well, yeah. I had, a, I had an incident where... And we should bring this back to toys of our childhood. I loved my stretch Armstrong. Um, and I played with it a lot and I had a buddy over and we were both playing with stretch Armstrong. And if you're not familiar with stretch Armstrong, he stretches, he stretches as far as he can go. And we were stretching him across the entire length of my room. Uh, and I guess this is really much more traumatic for the other kid in this position. It was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I accidentally let go of Stretch Armstrong and I believe Stretch Armstrong had more elasticity than I expected <laughs> and his entire body, his giant long body, uh, rebounded uh, and flew across the room and whipped into my friend in such a way that I can't remember which, but one of his uh, internal organs was bruised. And he went to the hospital, uh, and I got in big trouble. I um, bet. I believe my, my parents, uh, I think it was this incident. I think they took away every toy that I owned. <laughs> they took, they took my, my room was just as if we had just moved in. It was just an empty room. That's so sad. It was sad. And I found a little plastic, you know, like you'd find a little, the little dinky toys inside of a kinder egg. Mm. I found like a little car like that. And... Being the good little boy I was, I, I I gave it to my mom and I said, I found this. I'm sure you want to take it away from me. And and she did. So tell me, Jake, what was the most rebellious thing you did growing up? Were you a rebel? <sighs> no. No, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, rebellious? Okay, well, I did something as a child uh, that I didn't know was rebellious. I was just being a dumb Dumb little kid. Uh, me and my friend, I believe it was the friend uh, whose internal organs were, uh, you know, punished by Stretch Armstrong. Uh, I grow. We we were really dumb together. I um, he he and I. I don't know who came up with the idea, but we both decided it would be a fun idea to hide in a bush in the backyard. So we were young, you know, uh, too young to recognize the seriousness of disappearing in you know los angeles but uh yeah we hid in a bush in the yard and my nanny came out looking for me you know screaming my name we're snickering in the in the bush <laughs> laughing 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 this is just so funny uh she comes out several times looking for us we don't come out of the bush uh, she goes inside. She goes inside for quite some time. Uh, we decide we get bored of hiding in the bush, and we come out of the bush, enter the house, uh, and no one's in the house. So we walk out to the front yard, and I see my mom is outside, home from work. Not a good thing. Uh, my nanny is crying, 
And mm-hmm. there is, uh, a, I think, two or three police cars out front. Oh, uh, boy. I think they had an APB out for oh, boy. two missing children. Uh, and I think I think that, you know, that's the one. I can't tell if that was the time that I had all my toys taken away or if it was the time that I bruised the guy, uh, his in, internal organs. So that was... Uh, wow. Well, um, rebellious, I guess you could that call it. is rebellious. Um, yeah. And so young. So young, so young to be so rebellious. But besides that, I mean, the most rebellious thing I did at a at an age where I was actually, you know, conscious of being rebellious was really, I think I skipped school, I skipped high school one time. I know, yeah, shock horror. Uh, and I just went to my friend's school. I skipped school to go to school. Uh, but you could hardly call it a, a school. It was like a... It was one of those. It was it was a school which had only recently gotten its accreditation. Accredit accreditation. I'm not sure how to say that. Uh, as a school, uh, and it was only barely making the cut because it really wasn't a school. There were no grades. There were no classes. There were no classrooms. They would just go to the park or they'd go wherever they want, uh, and they'd watch films. And there was it was not it was not a school. But you could get the credit for having gone to school by attending this school. And I, you can't see it, but there are giant quotations around the word school. It's <laughs> not a school, but yeah, I went to that because that was a lot more fun for the day than, uh, than your normal school, than normal school. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it will come as no surprise to you, Jake, that I was quite the troublemaker when I was growing up. I don't believe it. You're just an angel. Well, now I am, but obviously, uh, but there certainly was a time where I gave my parents quite the runaround um, and was always sort of pushing against the expectations uh, that were in front of me. I was um, I was recalling recently a time when my head teacher had me out in the hall and said to me, you have a problem with authority figures. Mm. And I thought to myself uh, on looking back at that, that was kind of an indicator for where I am today. But um, if I was to try and pinpoint one uh, most rebellious uh, incident, it would be pretty hard because there were a lot of them. But I guess um, a starting point would be there's this one time where a band that I really liked uh, were doing a record signing in Dublin. Mm-hmm. I'd never been to Dublin before. <laughs> At the time, I was 14, and I had decided I was going to Dublin. So what I did was I packed a change of clothes in my school bag. And because I could walk to school myself, obviously, I at that age, I was certainly walking to school on my own. Instead of going to school, I went to the local bus station, changed into my other clothes and took a bus to Dublin. Then when I was in Dublin, after skipping school, I then made my way to the record store where this band was doing their signing. And... Um, I waited in the queue and I met the band and I met some people when I was in the queue and became really chatty with them. There were these two lovely girls from Dublin and we were all having the crack because we were really good. You know, we really loved this band. And I met the band, got, you know, a photograph taken, got their autograph. And they said, well, are you going to the show tonight? Because they were playing a gig that night in Dublin. And I said, no, I didn't get a ticket. And neither did the two girls I was with in the line. We were the last three people in the queue. So what they did was they actually put us on the guest list to go to the gig that night in Dublin. How did you get on the guest list? I don't know, but we were on the guest list. So all of a sudden, we were put on the guest list to go to this gig. And uh, these two girls, Ruth, I know for sure, I can't remember the other girl's name. I feel terrible, but it was like so long ago. Um, We went back to Ruth's house. They were a couple of years older than me. And we got ready to go to the gig that night. Now, obviously, I started thinking, well, how am I going to get home? Because this gig's not going to be over until, you know, 12 o'clock. And I I think my mom might notice by that point that I'm not coming home from school. Yeah, I think it's safe to assume she would have noticed, yes. So I decided, well, I might as well call my mom and tell her that I'm actually in Dublin and I'm going to a gig. Um, And it was okay because I actually happened to know someone from back home in Mockerfeld who was also going to the gig. And I had called and asked him, who, of course, his dad was driving him down and taking him back home because he was responsible and (laughs) uh, told his parents that he wanted to go and they were allowing him to go to the show. 
Uh, and I asked if I could get a lift back with him home that night. So I called my mom and I said, look, okay, I broke the rules. I skipped school. I've traveled to Dublin by myself. You didn't know I was going. Now I'm going to a gig, but I'm going to the gig and you're just going to have to accept that I'm going to the gig. But don't worry because I will be able to get home with my friend. I just won't be home until two or three o'clock in the morning. Went to the gig. Show was brilliant. Had the best time. Managed to find my friend. Uh, lost him a little bit towards the end. Find him again in the car park. Got home. Everything was fine. And that was the beginning of me going to a lot of gigs in Dublin. Yes. Uh, some of which you might have even told your parents about beforehand. Eventually, I started telling them. <laughs> the next, uh, to wheel it right back to... Uh where Emma was on her uh, journey down south uh, to be a rebel, um, you went down there to enjoy some music. 90s music uh, was instrumental. <laughs> that genuinely, uh, that was a pun unintended That's there. That's such a dad joke. It, was a, it wasn't, I really did not mean it to, uh, yeah, pun unintended, seriously. Uh, it was a uh, an important part of everybody's, life growing up. I mean, the radio growing up in the nineties, it was our window into the, uh, into the world. It was how you got your news. Obviously TV is in that, but, uh, I know as a kid, I used to, you know, fall asleep to the radio. I would have, uh, my local Los Angeles, uh, pop and rock radio station as a little kid I'd listen to and fall asleep to. And I mean, growing up with my parents in the music industry, I was surrounded by music and I, I don't know what I would be without music. And I mean, I had some real uh, questionable music taste growing up. And uh, do you share? Oh, yeah. I mean, my first CD uh, was given to me by my aunt. So I didn't buy this myself, but it was the Spice Girls. Uh, uh, really? It was. Yeah, it was. Uh, and I liked it. Oh, boy. Yeah. And then followed by my next CD I was given was by my little little elementary school girlfriend uh she gave me green day's nimrod i think was the album and uh she gave it to me because her uh her ex-boyfriend liked that a lot and i remember i see i remember having <laughs> feelings about that but i was way way too young to know what those were uh but yeah well well before that i grew my sister gave me a cassette tape uh with it was a mixtape she made and like i remember my the thing I liked most about it was, and I was really young. This was uh, way before I should have been listening to this, but it had Rage Against the Machines, Killing in the Name, <gasps> which has a a lengthy section at the end of the song. I think your sister sounds like she was super cool. Yeah, she definitely was super cool. She was the cool older sister. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I said, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me a lot. <gasps> I said that repeatedly raids against the machine warped my little brain uh and i was the poster child for why they had to start putting parental advisory stickers on everything that's so sad it was sad but i i loved i loved growing up with all the different types of music uh and i know for me it was it's a huge reason as to why i am a musician today so uh, did yeah. you like what? Like I, I've named a few bands. We're you know, Raging with the Machine, Spice Girls, uh, Green Day. Uh, a lot of these '90s, you know, alternative pop and you know your pop punks and whatever. There was a lot of that in the '90s. Which of those bands did you grow up with as well? Was it the same over here in Northern Ireland? I mean, we obviously had the Spice Girls um, at the same time, but uh, we also had Bewitched. Have you heard of them? I I know the television series uh, with the, the yeah, woman with no. the nose. We had uh, a girl band here that were, um, you know, really big at a time uh, during the late 90s. Yeah. Um, kind of like the Irish Spice Girls, I guess, only they they weren't as big. Were they? Obviously. Was Bewitched like in the same vein as like your other, your boy bands? That, that Was Bewitched spelled funny? Oh, yeah. It was like a bee and then like an asterisk and then (laughs) witched. And they were, um, you know, four girls. It was super upbeat. They were all harmonies and all singing, all dancing. Right. Typical girl pop band. Uh, So we had those guys. And I actually, um, that was my first CD. Uh, Yes. I, um, uh, like yourself, I had a bit of a 
a bit of a contrasting first two CDs. My first CD was Bewitched's debut album, and my second CD was a Marilyn Manson album. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that, that diversity. Nothing wrong with diversity. Yeah, I just went the total opposite way. And uh, in terms of 90s music, I didn't get into 90s music until I was older. I wasn't really raised like yourself in a household that had necessarily a lot of music. We did still have... Out here we had Green Day. We had, um, you know, all of your... We had uh, Pearl Jam and, yeah. you know, the, the grunge, Nirvana, Nirvana Foo, Fighters. Foo Fighters, the grunge scene. We had all that stuff here at the same time as you guys. The only difference is we had a couple of domestic bands as well, such as Bewitched, who were um, my first album. Oh, you know, everyone everyone makes mistakes. No one's perfect. Uh, but in terms of music, um, I actually, when I was younger, went through uh, much more of a heavy rock uh stage in my life and um was for a period of time in a metallica cover band will you repeat that for That's me right please? a metallica cover band i saw metallica three times uh what, in my teenage years what uh role did you play in the metallica cover band i was the singer yes you, you were the vocalist i was the vocalist you sang the metallica songs that's right why don't you give us something? I want to that's hear. That's not going to happen. You know that's not going to happen. But uh, yeah, in terms of music, I would say a lot of the music that we um, that was going around in the nineties both crossed the water um, in terms of the Spice Girls. Uh, what about boy bands? Oh, and Sync. How yeah. can we be doing nineties music and not talk well, about and Sync and Destiny's Child? Well, you can't really say and Sync without talking about uh, the Backstreet Boys too, weren't oh, they? My like God. hand in hand. They were like hand in hand. And wait, wasn't there? Um, was it Boyzone? Oh, see that we didn't have. I'm okay, pretty sure that was Okay, we had Boyzone here, and when they broke up, I swear to God, my aunt was never going to come out of her room. She was so devastated. <laughs> she cried for what seemed like an eternity, and just locked herself in her room, completely distraught. Whenever that band broke up, so that's sad. It was sad. That's sad. But uh, so it sounds like there were some uh, some crossover, cross pond pollination of. Uh, music if you know i got some you know your spice girls and you know i'm sure there were some uk uh besides the spice girls there had to have been uk and irish bands i mean obviously u2 was not a 90s band but i mean but they were the big in the, 80s but they were big 90s, in the 90s they were they had they had hits throughout and yeah. i mean that was i mean my mom the only thing i ever learned about ireland as a little kid like the only thing i learned was when my mom tried to explain to me what sunday bloody sunday was about uh, and she used, you know, I mean, to learn about the troubles through Bono was, I feel, uh, I think it lacked some of the, uh, the impact of, uh, the seriousness. But of the fact that, uh, your mom even had that conversation with you because of that song. I mean, that's great. Yeah, no, I, I do thank her for that. And, uh, I actually do like, uh, you know, a chunk of, uh, U2's back catalog. I wanted to ask you about... Uh, one big difference in terms of uh, nationalism between uh, growing up in Northern Ireland and growing up in the U.S. Obviously, here we have the divide between Protestants and Catholics and the Irish flag and the British flag. Right. We have our own... Um, there are our own sets of rules and obligations that we have to do as children growing up here. We have to go to mass or we have to go to certain classes or we have a very rigid um, uniform policy. Right. But you also had something that you had to do every day in school that we don't have to do here. That's right. Um, we're going to be doing a, uh, a special, uh, an episode specifically uh, covering subjects like flags and uh, nationalism and all, all that jazz. But... Um, a preamble I'll give you here is uh, we every child that I knew growing up had to perform uh, a a ritual I would like to call it now looking looking back it really seems almost cultish financial the the pledge of allegiance we had to make a uh, to proclaim our allegiance literally to the flag that was the the line the whole the whole thing I'll just go through it is. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, 
with liberty and justice for all. Now, I have that ingrained in my DNA. And I mean, <laughs> if there was a way to... I mean, how many times do you think you've said that? I Countless, countless times. I mean, I've said that more than... Hi, Mom. You know, I've said that like more than I think I've said anything, anything in my life. So I, I don't... I don't understand it. I don't I don't like it and I I don't know why it's something we are literally uh forced to do. I mean, I, it was a requirement. You'd you'd stand up, you know, at assemblies, you'd stand up and you'd have to put your hand, they'd say put your right hand over your heart. You have to hold your heart while you say it for some reason and you'd say that. And I I it's not living in the bubble of the United States anymore and leaving. I mean, this wasn't something you repeated into your later school years. This was something that they had you do early enough on that you wouldn't question it. You'd do it as a little kid all the time uh, until it was normal. And it was just as normal as, you know, having breakfast in the morning. Uh, now, being an adult, not living in the United States for a while, it these kinds of bizarre nationalistic, ritualistic... Uh, I, I don't know what to call them, but I, they, they stand out to me as um, not something I think is healthy. And mm -hmm. uh, there was a whole uh, controversy at, at one point in my youth when they decided to uh, remove the section of the Pledge of Allegiance where it is stated under God. That was the only thing they had a problem with. Apparently everything else, pledging your undying allegiance to a flag was fine. But... Um, saying something about God, that was where they drew the, they drew the line, which none of that should have been required to begin with. I like, and the fact that the God part was even in there to begin with is also really deeply concerning because I've always been raised to believe there was supposed to be a separation of church and state, but I've never seen it because our, our currency says, uh, under God, I'm pretty sure it says something about God on our $1 bills or any of the other. So to me, it has never seemed like God has uh, has been absent from uh, the major structures of the United States. So I don't know where that that whole thing came from of separation of church and state. But yeah, that that was that was an unusual uh, or a very usual and very normal thing uh, to do growing up, but has since become really unusual to me uh, as an adult. And yes, we will be doing a flag special um, at some point down the line, which uh, we're very much looking forward to discussing, considering the subject that Jake just spoke about and also the um, controversy of flags in this region. And uh, I guess if we're talking about education, I, I often wonder, um, did you have much in terms of extracurricular activities or after school activities? I know if I'm watching like Clueless or any of the classic uh, high school American movies, you guys have all these great things to do, like beach volleyball and all that kind of stuff. And whereas for me growing up, the height of um, after school activities was we had Kamogi, which is where you have a stick and a ball and you're hitting it across the field. Yeah. It's a great sport. It's an Irish sport. But that was really the only option for after school. Well, in this uh, back in, in the schools that I went to, it was still very much uh, sports based. Most of the extracurriculars you'd have, you know, your your track and field and your lacrosse and your, uh, um, I believe, swimming. There was a swimming pool up the street from our school where I think they uh, they would do like you know swimming, racing. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but. Uh, and of course there was surfing before school. Um, but the classes, the extracurriculars that I think most of the kids I knew got involved with, because believe it or not, I was not very active. Uh, most of the kids I knew were the weird kids that were in like drama class that, you know, drama Ooh. class would take, you know, it, it, it's like an acting class. I don't know if you guys had that. We didn't have that. Okay. Yeah. You'd have theater, you know, after, after. I think it was after school most days. I can't remember if there was during school classes, but I know the productions done, you know, your school plays, your reenactments of, uh, you know, Shakespeare's blah, blah, blah. You know, they, they do whatever they had. Uh, kids would, would take these classes and then they would do a special performance or several performances, which would usually be in the, in the guise of like a, 
like a fundraiser. I'm not sure exactly what, how they how they did it, but you would have these events where people would buy tickets. You'd have everyone's parents come, and everyone would watch these uh, these performances put together. Um, and then in the same vein, there were also band uh, performances where it would be, you know, jazz band or uh, you know orchestral band, uh, and you'd have you know all the kids. Basically, every kid that I knew that was in it. For some reason, they all just inexplicably loved ska. All the ska mm-hmm. kids would be in band, I guess, because there's a lot of horns in band. So they would, they would, you know, spend a lot of time in, in class, you know, playing loud instruments. And then after school, they'd be playing more loud instruments. And then uh, there'd be concerts. And uh, during sporting events, like, you know, you have your football teams, like several, several, uh, several kids from my school went off to be professional basketball and uh, football players in the NFL and the NBA. Um, after school, there they would there would there would be um, some nights, uh, you know, like a high school level basketball game or high school level football game, and everybody in the immediate area would go and attend. And these kids that would be in the band class would do you know halftime performances, and you know they kind of involved everyone. So you'd have the um, you know, people like myself, the dweeby, nerdy band kids also attending these events with the jocks and your uh, cheerleaders and, and whatnot. Oh, cheerleaders. We don't have those. You don't have cheerleaders. Not for, for uh, what was the sport? It was camogie. camogie. You don't have camogie yeah, cheerleaders? Yeah, we don't. And uh, we don't have like cheerleading class or any of that crack here. Oh, yeah. We had, we had classes mean, for I mean, all this. Yeah. I mean, maybe we do now, I guess. I'm so, it's been so long since I was in high school. I don't know if they've changed any of the, um, the the curriculum, but I did see actually that my high school has brought in a drama class. So you know, we are the times involving. they are changing. <laughs> well, that is a wrap on our first episode, formative years. I hope we haven't bored you all to death with our stories between Los Angeles and Northern Ireland and what it was like to grow up in the nineties. We have seen that there were quite a few similarities in terms of pop culture, so we had a lot of the same cartoons, movies, music, games. Uh, But there were quite a few differences in terms of the education system and in terms of religion and how relevant religion was to your upbringing and how you felt that placed you within your community. Next week, we will have a completely different subject, and we are pleased to share that we will be covering a whole host of subjects from pop culture to politics to history to culture. You name it, we're going to find a space for it. Thanks for listening. This has been Hollywood to Hollywood, and uh, looking forward to seeing you all virtually next week. (laughs) 